This is Neil McMillan, inviting you to join me for Pulse of Politics. I'll be bringing you 30 minutes of interviews, conversation and commentary on issues that matter. That's Pulse of Politics. There are three weeks remaining to what has been an unusually protracted election campaign. It's been tough on candidates and remaining focused and simulating support but it's also enabled our program to conduct interviews with a great many of candidates in our two local electorates, Dunedin and Tyree. So this week we're pleased to welcome Labour's candidate for the newly named and redefined Dunedin seat, the Honourable David Clark, who's joined us in the studio. And thanks for joining us, David. Oh, good to be here, Neil. David, until now you've been the MP for Dunedin North, but the electorate has changed. What areas have you gained and what have you lost? Well, uh, so the big change that a lot of people in Dunedin itself will notice is that the peninsula now comes into the electorate. uh, And so that, you know, it it takes a slightly different shape. I still represent all of the parts of the city I've represented before, but also the peninsula. And the bits that have been taken off are the bits uh, north of Flag Swamp and inland uh, from there. So currently I represent uh, Herbert and Hamden and uh, Dunback. Um, and uh, that changed, that came in in 2014. Um, prior to that, uh, the northern boundary of my electorate was the same as it will be. Uh, this time round, which is um, just going up as far as Flag Swamp. So geographically, the electorate gets a bit smaller, uh, a bit more compact, a bit more urban, um, and it's no longer called Dunedin North. It will now be called Dunedin. So that's the one I'm campaigning in now. Some would say it's more favourable to Labour. Would you agree with that? Uh, Well, Dunedin itself, um, urban Dunedin, has been very strongly Labour. I have to say I've enjoyed also representing Palmerston and places further to the north, which you know might more traditionally uh, favour our opposition. But um, I guess with, uh, firstly, I've tried to be really engaged, uh, and secondly, campaigning on issues like Invermay and so on. Uh, I think um, you know I've won a bit of support there, so I'll be sad to, to lose that part of of the electorate. I, I'm rather fond of um, the rural areas around there, um, right up to Omaru. Uh, and um, you know, go to the AMP shows and so on, um, and and really enjoy those things. So I'll, I'll hope to maintain some connection there still. Yeah, as as with Tyree, Dunedin is a very diverse constituency. You've got rural townships, suburbia, farming, the University of Otago, a major shipping port. How do you uh, encompass such diversity? Are there any common issues? Uh, well, I think the the main thing is, as an electorate MP, uh, being available to all those different constituencies to hear what the challenges are and uh, what they're enjoying uh, currently. And uh, so, I, you know, I it's one of my, I guess one of the things why I'm keen to continue being the electorate MP locally is because you do have those direct relationships locally, rather than uh, as a list MP where you might not have quite so many uh, local connections. Um, so I've always been an electorate MP and hope to continue. Um, look, Dunedin, the seat itself, um, uh, similar to, to the old Dunedin North seat, has uh, more students um, per capita than any other seat in the country, uh, tertiary students, because um, of the university there. But it also has um, 
more people who are employed in the health and social service sector than any other electorate in the country. Uh, Certainly the old sector, and I'd be surprised if it wasn't still true in the new one. And that's because we've got a tertiary hospital in it, which... um, which is, you know, serves a huge area um, right down to the bottom of the country and, and up including um, parts of South Canterbury. So it's a, a Dunedin Hospital and the, the fact that all the staff live close by that, that service that huge population uh, means that we've got a really interesting demographic here that's quite unique um, and health and education play a really strong role in the electorate. But like you said at the outset, uh, Neil, there's also those rural uh, areas, there's the port, uh, there's lots of different um, activities of interest beyond uh, the, the tertiary sector and the, the health sector. Um, up to now, what would you say have been the most pressing issues in your electorate? Well, one of the, the big ones, which I've campaigned on a couple of times before, is Dunedin Hospital. Uh, you know, I, I think I've tracked back um, as far as 2008 uh, talk of um, getting something happening there. Um, and in 2014, when I was in opposition, I became concerned at the lack of progress. You know, they've been talked about for a while and nothing seemed to have happened. So in 20, 2014, I, I campaigned on it as an issue. And again in 2017. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to be Minister of Health and actually start the ball rolling properly, get the money put aside, which it has now now happened, been budgeted, uh, the demolition work started, um, the site's been uh, secured uh, and the groundworks are progressing so the construction phase is underway and that was um, something really important to me personally, it's important to the city to have a modern hospital but also important to people across the south and, and to the university too for its uh, teaching. So for all of those reasons the hospital was very much front and centre for me and also um, for local uh uh, members of the, uh, you know, my my local clientele, if you like, um, the people I serve in the community, it was an issue that kept coming up. When is when is the hospital going to be built? Who's going to commit money to it, and all of those things? And and I'm really proud that during my time as Minister of Health, we were able to do that. Mm. While on the subject of the hospital, it looks as if there's a longer time frame than perhaps was anticipated, and uh, now the the likelihood of a greater cost involved. Yeah, certainly uh, a greater cost um, uh, over time. You know, it's become apparent, and that's true. Buildings always get more expensive over time. Uh, price inflation and also a lot of pressure with infrastructure build uh, commissioned across New Zealand means that that cost is going to go up. It's a bigger hospital than the old hospital uh, by a bit, by a, by a fair amount. Um, it's got you know a lot more uh, emergency beds, a lot more intensive care beds, and so on. So it's a it's scaled up. It will need to. The population's growing. Um, and there'll be arguments at the margin about whether it's big enough in this area or small mm. enough in this area or whatever. Um, but it, but it's, it is a bigger hospital. Um, so uh, that was the first part of your question. The second part was around delays and potential delays. And um, one of the things we looked at in the planning process is what could be brought forward as well. So the, the outpatient building... Um, which is the first part to be built, will actually be finished sooner than the original plans. Um, And that's Mm. partly to relieve pressure on the existing hospital and recognising that 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 part of it is is where the really critical infrastructure is Mm. to keep going. So, um, And the other thing was stretching out the time frame a wee bit, getting one project going a bit sooner and having the whole thing stretched out over a slightly longer time frame means we can maximise the local workforce. And uh, you'll see that uh, I had the privilege of announcing uh, about two months ago a, a training centre at the Polytech that the government will fund through the Provincial Growth Fund money, uh, close to $30 million, 
uh, for that, which um, which will mean that um, apprentices will be trained locally um, in a in a custom built training facility at the Polytech, and that's to start building up that workforce necessary for the outpatient building and then the inpatient building. And the three things scale the, the actual building of that Polytech uh, site is going to require around two hundred workers. Um, the building of the uh, outpatient is estimated to require about. 350 workers, and the building of the inpatient uh, building at the hospital, the, the final biggest part of it, is going to take about 1,000 workers at peak mm. during the construction phase. So we'll be able to scale up that workforce. Not everyone will come from Dunedin, but we want to get as many Dunedin people involved and trained uh, as possible to make the most of the opportunity for the city. Back to the cost. It had been $1.4 billion. What are we looking at now? Uh, is it possible to put a figure on it? Uh, it's it's not um, the 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 ongoing planning will refine those costs. Um, One point four was the upper parameter before, and and recently the finance minister said acknowledged that it's uh, it's likely to cost a little more than that. Mm. Other issues looking forward issues in the Dunedin electorate over the next three years, for instance. Uh, other issues on the table. Um, well, it, one of the other things that. Um, Again, I campaigned on last election and uh, and has been um, started to roll out as the centre of digital excellence locally, building up a, a workforce uh, focused on digital technologies. Looking at the gaming sector we've got locally, you know, what are the future high high earning industries we can promote and build in town? Um, the other is uh, you know reinvesting in hillside workshops where you've got a uh, an engineering uh, workforce. Uh, and of course, we've saved him for me uh, this term of Parliament, which uh, was something again I campaigned on in opposition, and then had the the pleasure of uh, having some involvement with um, in government um, securing that workforce here in the south. Uh, we know that you know it makes sense for New Zealand as a whole. That that site has been uh, famous, had a world profile for the work that they've done in increasing productivity and so on. Uh, and that science uh, has benefited New Zealand as a whole, but it's also meant high-value jobs locally, and um, so I'm really proud that we've managed to save that as a government. David, until a few months ago, you were Minister of Health. Uh, you lost that portfolio due to, we could say, errors of judgment. Have you been kicking yourself, and have you put it behind you? Um well, I yeah, that, obviously the uh, I went mountain biking, uh, and it's it's one of those things. Of course, uh, I, I do regret. Um, I was very clear about that. I think I, I made an error uh, in in choosing to do that. Um, obviously, that was something in my personal time and capacity. But you know, the point was made that um, actually, uh, whether or not it breached any rules didn't matter. It was really about being seen to be, you know going the extra mile, making sure you're above any criticism as as minister. And in a time of global crisis, uh, I offered my resignation uh, immediately to the Prime Minister um, and she didn't accept it. She said, look, right, we're in the middle of a, a crisis. Uh, we actually need our Minister of Health right now who's up to speed on things and we're, we've got an emergi- emergency response underway and she asked me to stay on, um, making the point that in ordinary times she would have accepted my, my resignation. Um, uh, and so uh, I continued to serve in that role. And then when we got uh, our way through the lockdowns and then down to level one, um, there was still ongoing criticism of, of those uh, decisions I'd made in my private capacity. Um, and so that was the time I thought, actually, you know, I feel good about having got us through that difficult time as a country through the worst of that uh, initial COVID response. Um, the government's doing well on COVID. Um, and actually, I'm becoming... 
a, a story around distraction. Um, now, now I feel comfortable uh, with where we've got to. I, I want to offer my resignation again. So I offered it a second time to the Prime Minister uh, and she accepted it. And, um, and you know, for me, that, that actually felt good, quite good that I could choose my, my time, uh, hand over, pass the baton um, and make sure that, you know, we, the public were also thinking about the, the health response as a whole uh, that we'd made. Um, I feel you know good about many of the things I was able to achieve as health minister, uh, and uh, also um, hopefully have enabled uh, an ongoing health response that was free of the distraction of that criticism of the the choice I made uh, way back in the early lockdown period. Might one suggest you have cause to empathise with your main opponent, Michael Woodhouse, who also made errors of judgment. Yes, um, yes, there was a, a mystery homeless man and uh, and, a, and an incident which I, I feel uncomfortable about with a with a toilet seat and um, and uh, also some private information that he received but didn't pass on and those you know those all of those things have been publicly criticised um, and uh, yeah I, I hope uh, my error of judgment which was more about my own behaviour um, uh, you know is something that people will will consider in its context um you know i've apologized for it um i don't really want to comment on my opponent's errors um uh but uh, i'm sure he'll be very mindful of those yes well we, we spoke uh, the other week to michael woodhouse on this very subject and i had the impression that there was a, a greater affinity between the two of you now oh so, um well i don't i don't know uh, um I guess we, we've always uh, worked uh, locally um, where, where we've needed to on local issues. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd like to say that Labour had uh, generally um, uh, stood more strongly behind local issues than, than the National Party. Um, uh, we're in a campaign period, of course, now, so we'll, we'll stand on our record and, and the public will make its judgment. We're speaking with the Honourable David Clark. David, do you think the circumstances which precipitated the loss of your portfolio will have affected your voter support? Um, Well, ultimately, that's for the voters to decide. Um, Right now, I have to say locally, um, it's a nice time to be a Labour MP. Um, You know, one month out from the last election, we were sitting at around 25% in the polls. Uh, and now a lot of polls have us uh, at double that. Um, and Dunedin, of course, has always uh, been a city that Labour has taken pride in representing well and uh, in, in making gains for, um, you know, with our strong emphasis on health and education in particular. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the support locally feels really strong for Labour, um, and uh, we're campaigning uh, to win that support, but we don't take anything for granted. It's one of those uh, things where you know I'm really consciously reminding voters I've got to make sure they get out and vote, and they've got to make sure that their family members are enrolled uh, and also voting, uh, because if we don't get people out to vote, uh, even and especially those who are our supporters, um, we may not have the chance to lead the next government. That's the reality. It all comes down to people getting out and voting on the day. Uh, that that is what matters, and um, making sure their family members are voting and so on. Uh, there's absolutely no room for complacency. Um, we want every vote for Labour. We want the party vote in particular because that determines the shape of the next parliament. Mm. 
Up to now, what's been the mood that you've felt during the campaign? Um, really positive locally. It's, you know, it has been a strange campaign um, because it's been a little bit stop-start. I'm someone who really enjoys knocking on doors. Um, and it's probably a quirk of personality, but um, I do like getting uh, the opportunity to have direct feedback from people. You know, I, I find that when I knock on doors, um, people are generally very polite and, and also quite keen to bend my ear. To, to let me know what they think um, is both good and bad that's going on currently and how things could be done better. People really, um, I, I always feel privileged when I knock on people's doors and I say, you know, I'm David Clark, your local member of parliament, and they look a little bit surprised to see me that I've knocked on their door because they haven't had that experience uh, of other politicians knocking on their doors. Uh, and then, you know, when they, they stop and they think and they say, actually, there is something I'd like you to think about. And um, and I find that really positive. But we haven't been able to do that the whole year, you know, for great chunks of it. Uh, it's been, you know, doing it through the phone or, or other other ways of contacting people. It's not quite the same. So I'm enjoying being back in level one and, and uh, knocking on doors and uh, wearing through the shoe leather again. A long-time member of the press gallery, whose name would be lost on a lot of people these days, said to me one, on one occasion, the uh, the time to worry for a local MP is when people are just sort of smiling and not complaining. If 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 they're complaining, it's because they believe you're in a position to do something. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, Absolutely, that's a, a it's a nice succinct observation. Yeah, no, the last thing you want is people just nodding and smiling and uh, and uh, not engaging. Um, when they engage, um, yeah, that's an interesting observation. I, I absolutely, at a gut level, agree with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, lo- looking back on your term as Minister of Health, what would you regard as the main achievements? Um, one of the things I guess I'm, I'm most proud of is the um, uh, program we've put in place around mental health. Um, now there's a it's quite a long rollout for that over over coming years. Um, we've got to train up whole workforces, but um, the money's been set aside to make sure that every New Zealander can access for free uh, mental health support if they've got mild to moderate mental health um, needs, challenges. Um, that can be anxiety or depression, um, things that are very common. One in four New Zealanders at any time might have anxiety or depression. Um, and up until now, the only, the only thing you could do about it was go and see your GP, Uh, 15-minute appointment and some pills probably, Uh, whereas um, being able to access someone you can talk to, uh, develop strategies with and so on, um, has been something that's really been reserved for um, private practice and uh, putting quite a bit of money into, or else you just haven't been able to get hold of. So I feel really proud about that program uh, that's being put in place and, and as I say, built up over the next few years because you've got to train the workforces first. uh, also, the capital that we've put into to health, you know, um, uh, we're really uh, $3.5 billion, and that's on top of the, the Dunedin, that's not counting the Dunedin Hospital <laughs> build, um, you know, which is so much more than um, the, the prior government put in $1 billion over nine years. We've put in uh, uh, three times as much, um, over three times as much in just three. Um, it's ambitious. It's going to require to build workforces again to actually deliver on it. Um, getting that capital stuff underway. And I guess the other one is in primary care, um, making doctor's visits under $20 for community service card holders um, because they were over 40 for most people. And uh, that means that people 
not just can afford, but actually will go to the doctor because um, they weren't, it was too expensive. They simply weren't going and they were getting sicker. And that means people end up in the emergency department, which costs, a, costs the taxpayer a whole lot more um, and meant they were really sick, more importantly. Um, so bringing down that access cost uh, for healthcare, really proud of that too. So that's, I guess, three things. You asked me what thing, but I've given you three. There's three, there, there's loads more. We did a huge amount of, uh, in a very short space of time, record investments in the health area. Looking ahead, unfulfilled ambitions. What would you like to achieve? What would you like to achieve personally in the next three years, assuming you're re-elected? Yeah, um, well, ultimately, uh, you know, whether I get to serve in a future cabinet is the decision of the the caucus and the prime minister. So that's not something I get to choose. Um, I would, you know, if I was given the opportunity to serve again in a cabinet um uh, you know, I would regard that as a privilege. Um, I hope to be the local member of parliament for Dunedin uh, after the election, and I'll certainly be uh, keeping a close eye on the hospital build and making sure that continues to progress. Obviously, now the money's set aside, the the demolitions underway, the groundworks, uh, the planning. The government's just announced 127 million to spend on uh, ongoing contracting work for the construction. Um, so you know, stuff's happening there, but but I'll be wanting to keep an eye on that, I guess, uh, as a local member. Um, there are lots of issues into the future. You know, as we bring in more construction workforces, that's going to put more pressure on housing locally. Uh, I'm going to want to keep an eye on that. Um, and, uh, you know, making sure that our uh, university and, and polytech um, uh, are supported, particularly through the reforms of the, the polytech sector. Uh, we've had a very innovative and progressive um, polytechnic locally that's that's well recognised uh, across the country and beyond um, for many of its courses and I want to see that they continue to have a proud place uh, in New Zealand. David, we've all seen the opinion polls. What's your gut instinct about the election outcome? I mean, there's uncertainty about where the Greens will go, whether New Zealand First will go, um, predictions that maybe Labour will have sufficient support to be able to govern alone, which would be quite unusual. Gosh, it would be. Um, I, I really don't have any predictions. I think it it really will boil down to uh, people getting out and voting. My, my only observation, which I, you know, I kind of touched on before, is that some people I've talked to on the doorsteps when I've had those conversations have have kind of thought that the election's already won somehow. Um, it's not, you know. If people don't get their their flatmates, their friends, uh, their relatives enrolled and don't get them voting, um, the opinion polls are worth nothing. Um, it's actually, there's only one opinion poll that counts, as many politicians have said before, and that's the one on voting day. That that decides the parliament. And um, so my, I mean, my general message is um, please do uh, make sure your party vote goes to the Labour Party. Of course, I'd love your support locally for me as well as the candidate, uh, but uh, party vote Labour is my key message, and then we will see uh, potentially um, a government uh, that uh, Labour uh, helps to shape if, if we you know, if we get sufficient um, to lead a negotiation or even, um, it would be very unlikely, but you know, maybe even the chance to, to govern uh, with a majority. I mean, that, that would be a recipe for real progress uh, for New Zealand. So if, if people like uh, the kinds of things we've been able to do even during COVID and um, in, in a very difficult time, we, we have a, a really strong and um, capable leader in Jacinda Ardern. Uh, if people want to see more of that and and want to see uh, greater progress, um, you know, in the areas of climate change and health and education and so forth, 
uh, then please give a, give your party vote to Labour. Finally, David, are there are two referenda being held simultaneously with the general election on October the 17th, one on the recreational use of cannabis and the other on voluntary euthanasia, the end-of-life choice proposition. Where do you stand on those two issues? So um, for euthanasia, I mean, my, my personal experience has shaped how I think about that. Um, my grandmother... Um, uh, attempted to take her own life a number of times when I was a young child, and I, I saw how easy it was for her to believe, um, because it was possible, uh, that um, she she was not valued, uh, and that she would be better off not being around. and And I I fear around um, euthanasia uh, an undervaluing of community, uh, a focus on the individual, uh, and um, and a sadness that. Those who who are vulnerable might um, might uh, unfortunately uh, be encouraged uh, to exit themselves um, rather than be cared for and loved. Um, so so I won't personally be supporting um, that one. Um, on uh, the recreational use of cannabis, um, I'm very much uh, focused on the evidence around that, which um, suggests uh, that all drugs are harmful. <laughs> Um, alcohol particularly, but also cannabis and other drugs. There's no drugs that aren't harmful, but that actually, if you want to reduce harm, uh, the thing is to have a strongly regulated market. So I will be supporting that legislation because I believe it leads to less harm when you have a legalised uh, a legalized marijuana situation, uh, but good education, um, penalties on anyone who would sell to children. Um, children currently get hold of it, um, and the current situation where it's banned seems to make no difference to who who people peddle it to, and we know it could be more harmful to children. Uh, you know, with alcohol, those who have a license don't want to lose it. They don't want to sell to the wrong people. Um, and uh, and so it actually changes behaviours, having a, a legalised situation, brings things out into the open. Um, and so I think we'd be safer as a society and have less harm if we legalised um, marijuana. So I'll be supporting that one. David Clark, thanks so much for joining us this week for your take on what promises to be one of the most fascinating elections in recent times. We're most grateful, and as with all candidates, we wish you well. Thank you, Neil. I always appreciate the chance to have a conversation with you. Um, your interviews are always well-informed and, and uh, great to have the chat. Thank you. Thank you. This is, we've been speaking with the Honourable David Clark, Labour candidate for the Dunedin electorate in next month's general election. And that's our programme for the week. And this is Neil McMillan closing with a reminder, you can catch Pulse of Politics at the same time every week on air, online or on podcast. You've been listening to Pulse of Politics, broadcast every Sunday evening at 8 o'clock on Otago Access Radio. If you'd like to hear this program again, you can download a podcast from oar.org.nz.